0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about foliar fungicides, especially foliar fungicides in soybeans. But if you've got any questions about anything going on on your farm or if you just want to talk about anything that is happening in agriculture today, I'd love to visit with you. The number here is 844-44-AG-PHD if you want to call in at any point during our show. Again, that number is 844 844- Four four two four seven four three, 4743 or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. All right, so when it comes to fungicides in soybeans, now let me let me step back for a second first. We got to talk about fungicides in general. The number one thing that I'm always after is how do I get the most out of whatever I'm investing money in on the farm? Okay, well, with fungicides... Here, is, here are just a few things you need to know. First, unfortunately, with fungicide, you got to spray before you see a real problem. And I know it stinks because with weeds, for example, if you wanted to spray foliar in your crop, you just wait, you scout for weeds, you go spray them, you control them, done. It's easy. Well, it's not always easy. But <laughs> the point is, you can scout. And then spray, and you haven't suffered a lot of yield loss as long as you spray when the weeds are still really small. But with diseases, by the time that you see the visual disease, it's already had a lot of impact on that plant. Take human health, for example. By the time you see that a person has a, the flu or a bad cold or whatever. They're probably days into it already. It's been building. They could sense something was wrong inside, but you couldn't necessarily see that when you looked at them. So you think about it, well, it's already a long ways down the road when you can see it whether it's the person or whether it's your crop. So there's already damage done. My point is this, if you get the fungicide out earlier, now you can stop that disease before it takes over the crop and before you have a bunch of yield loss. So to me, it's one of the most frustrating things in agriculture because I just basically have to make an educated guess every single time. Should I spray a fungicide or should I not? And my educated guess is going to include Okay, do I have a history of this, this disease? Is there this disease in my area? Do I have a susceptible susceptible variety? And do I have the right weather for this to occur in my plant? For example, June this year on our farm, we were getting 100 degree days, which I'll, I'll just tell you, at the hottest point in the year here, the average high is 86. That's the hottest. So, Most years, we'll get two or three days above 100. Well, in like the first four days of June, we already had our two or three days over 100. And so anyway, we go all through June. There's no rain. It's 100 degrees. The corn's rolled up. And I'm going, okay, normally we would spray for sclerotinia white mold in our soybeans, but I'm thinking, no way are we going to have any white mold. Is way too hot, way too dry. I don't know what even yield potential I have at this point, so I'm not going to spray like I normally would or make those extra treatments like I normally would. So you see where I'm going with this whole thing. you got to use your head a little bit. But anyway, that's kind of the frustration with fungicides is you've got to make a judgment call all the time. And that's why I say it's really just an educated guess. Okay, so if you do spray a fungicide, how do you get the best performance out of that? Well, the first thing you have to understand is fungicides, they don't move very well at all in the plant. They won't move leaf to leaf when you spray these foliar fungicides. And they won't, for the most part, even move within the leaf downward. So here's what I mean. These fungicides will move only in the xylem of the plant. So there are two transport systems in the plant, the phloem and the xylem. And I'm not going to get too technical here or anything else. This is pretty simple. This is as far as I'm going to go. But I'll just tell you, when you think about a product like, let's say it's Roundup or Callisto or Dicamba or 2,4-D... Products like that, those herbicides, they are systemic in the plant. They'll move in the phloem. So in other words, you spray it on the leaf, it will move to the most active growing point in the plant, and it will continue working its way down until it's killed every last growing point. That's just the way it works. It moves in the phloem, so it can move upward or downward. With the xylem, products that only move in the xylem only move up. So when you think about that, if you get a fungicide that only moves up— Let's say that you treat the top half of a leaf. Guess what? The bottom half of the leaf is unprotected. So it can get disease in the bottom half of the leaf. So if you want to get the most, the best bang for your buck out of a fungicide, you have to have fantastic spray coverage. That to me is number one. If I don't have great spray coverage, I know I am not going to get the control that I am looking for. So... In order to get that kind of coverage, we're talking about smaller spray droplets, more water, maybe a little bit more spray pressure, just anything you can to get that coverage. That's really what we're after. And very often failures or when people say, oh, the fungicide didn't really pay all that well, you go evaluate it and it's like, well, I can see where the disease is and it looks to me like you just didn't have very good spray coverage here. So always keep that in mind when you're dealing with fungicides. They, you have to get them on as much of that plant as possible. And then you also have to think about which leaves on the plant are the most important. For example, in wheat, we know that the flag leaf is unbelievably important, so that's the one we want to protect most, and that's why typically flag leaf spraying is going to pay better than that early timing you do with herbicide or the late timing you do with heading. The timing that pays the most, and I I still have a hard time believing this, but they say that the least amount of... Applications are made at flag leaf. So it's easy to spray at herbicide timing. A lot of people spray at heading, thinking, oh, I'm going to stop head scab or whatever. Well, protect the flag leaf. That's the first one you want to think about. Same thing in corn. You want to protect the ear leaf. So those are just a few tips that I got for you just to make any fungicide work better. We'll talk specifically about some fungicides that you could use in soybeans and you can use these in other crops as well as we go throughout the show today. If you've got any questions for us, the number is 844 44 ag or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We're going to go to the phone lines right after this.
1: If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name,
3: nothing waits for a farmer not the weather the banker the crops it's never at a farmer's convenience so when it comes to crop protection savings programs how come they get to ask you to wait for a rebate don't wait for rebates get the true choice offer from corteva agriscience for instant upfront savings on crop protection products ask your local pioneer sales representative or your crop protection retailer about the true choice offer from corteva but don't wait
4: are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds including kochia, tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today we're talking a little about foliar fungicides in soybeans and first on the show we got Drake Copeland with us. He is with FMC. Drake, how are you today? Drake, do we have you there?
5: Hey, yes, I'm oh, here. Sorry.
0: and Yeah, no problem. All right, so we're talking about foliar fungicides in soybeans and I was just kind of going through right before the break talking about how we need to get good spray coverage and everything else. Um, What are the other key tips that you would have for a farmer to get the most or to get the best success possible out of that foliar fungicide in soybeans?
5: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with, with coverage, and that leads into another thing, but also including, you know, adjuvants to get help with that coverage and penetration to the leaf cuticle. But a lot of times there's an insecticide going on out with that fungicide. And, you know, if we're talking about pyrethroids, Coverage is key um, when we're talking about a insecticide that kills on contact. So I agree with your points there.
0: So, and I don't want to get too much into that insecticide thing because I could talk all day about insecticides. I'm a big believer in controlling the pests that we have out on our field. Well, let's jump back to that fungicide thing. Um, Lacento is probably the most popular soybean fungicide that you would have as FMC. you got two modes of action in there, a triazole and an SDHI. So just talk to us about the importance of two modes of action versus just one, because, I mean, you could buy, let's say, straight TopGuard, uh, the straight triazole from you. So why, why do you push Lacento so much over the single mode of action product like a TopGuard?
5: Yeah, and, and we know that that flu tri-fall, or tri-fall in general, is bringing a lot to the table when controlling either septoria, which is a common, not as yield-limiting disease as uh, frog eye leaf spot, but we also get good activity on frog eye leaf spot. But what the SDHI brings, um, bixafen, is basically top-level uh, leaf spot control, and that. Putting those two together it kind of goes with anything we talk about with multiple modes of action. Uh, it goes well together. We know there's strobe-resistant uh, frog eye leaf spot isolates out there today. So having those two modes of action um, really is a win-win when we're talking about frog eye leaf spot in general, the one of the main diseases we talk about in soybeans.
0: All right, in terms of the timing, a lot of people ask us this and I just say, Boy, it's really dependent on your area and everything else. And for some people they might want to go two shots. So how do you usually answer the question when a farmer says, All right, I'll I'll do a fungicide from you guys, but you tell me when I should spray.
5: Yeah, and we've we've really hit on that R three timing. If you're gonna spray one time, that has been the ticket for years. Um, and really, it's right in the middle of pod development, and that's kind of we're trying to protect it so it can ultimately fill those pods and have a yield enhance. But we're starting to get into some situations, and maybe this is what you're talking about, where guys are starting to treat their soybean crop like they do their corn crop. So they'll do an early vegetative spray, they'll call it the Septoria spray around V6, and then they'll come back R3, maybe R4. Um, with that second foliar fungicide application, but in general, if we're talking one shot, definitely want to be around R three.
0: Now this year may be a little bit of an exception because of how dry it was, but do you believe we're seeing more diseases in soybeans lately? I, I do. It seems to me like the the problem is growing. But I just wanted to hear from you. What do you think?
5: Yeah, over our way we were relatively um, wet. We we had. I guess timely rainfalls. I mean, there was some weeks where it was a little bit dry, but I mean, I I had frog eye leaf spot clear up into northern Ohio, just south of the Michigan border, and it was a susceptible variety. But um, that's an area that generally not really a big frog eye leaf spot area, and the plots I was looking at, it was it was getting pretty bad. So uh, to your point, I agree. I think it's it's one of those things. Maybe it's the the varieties we plant have a lot to do with it. Um, But definitely the inoculum's out there and it'll be
0: there for years to come. Now, you mentioned frog eye a couple of times, and I realize that is a bad disease. We just have started getting that over here in our geography in South Dakota over the last few years. What are you commonly seeing for yield loss with people in your area? Like, let's say out in Ohio, what kind of yield losses can they have if they don't get a treatment out there on time?
5: Yeah, that's something that we've done some, I guess, omission trials where we'll do a full soybean program. And oftentimes, if there's disease present and we don't spray a fungicide, it costs us anywhere from 8 to 12 bushels um, in soybeans. So you think about that and with prices today, um, that fungicide pays for itself pretty <laughs> quickly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a massive yield loss. All right. Well, hey, Drake, it's been great talking to you today. Thanks a lot for being on the show. Really appreciate it again. That's Drake Copeland with FMC. Yep. Thanks. You bet. All right. Let's go next down to North Carolina. Got Kevin Matthews on with us. He's with Extreme Ag and does a great job farming down there. Kevin, how are you today?
6: Doing fine, sir. How y'all doing?
0: Excellent. So tell us just a little bit about soybean fungicide use in North Carolina. What do you do? Do you spray once? Do you spray some years and not other years? Do you spray twice? What what what's your normal program?
6: Yeah, we'll spray every acre once and a lot of a lot of our acres we will actually get a second time on. We like to spray about a uh, about R two, R one, R two, very late R one, because we're indeterminate beans and they start flowering real young. So we'll we'll do what's considered a very late R one, early R two, and then we will come back at a R five
0: and uh, hit them again. So, what are the two or three worst diseases you have?
6: Uh, frog eye is a, is a big deal, and then um, you know our cercospora is always um, is is a more of a problem than what it used to be. Yep. And uh, so we have to watch that. And, you know, one thing it, that I see a lot of is, um, we see a lot of sudden death and that brings up a good inner, you know, a good conversation is, you know, people see the sudden death and they want to get fungicides out there and it's just too late. You know, you got to do that with a different mode of action from the seed treatment side and, uh, catch it in there early. So, um, that is, a uh, yeah, you know, that's something that we're seeing a lot more of now. The yields are getting higher. It seems like you have higher yields, you have more disease. And um, so, knowing which choice to make and, you know, for us, a really good solid seed treatment and then followed with a Revitek fungicide is, has been a really good uh,
0: success for us. All right. You mentioned Revitek, That's three modes of action. Is that kind of what you've gone to now on your farm is trying to get three modes of action one way or the other?
6: Yes, we have. Um, We've done, uh, through Extreme Ag, we've done numerous trials of products, and uh, the Revitech has been the the standout. It's actually had just a couple bushel yield gain over the others. We're a very heavy disease environment. So, you know, if you're getting a lighter disease, you might can go with a a less costly fungicide. But here in the south, our humidity and our heavy dews, we don't have no choice but to to really be protective.
0: All right. So you've talked a lot about disease and just that you're spraying once and a lot of times twice. If let's say you don't treat something, what kind of yield losses are you usually looking at?
6: For us in our yield environment, um, we are typically in a no spray area. We will lose 15 bushels, sometimes 20. And I have seen thirty. I've seen it cut
0: the yield in half. Wow. Yep. Yeah, uh, sometimes I don't like where we farm just because we're cold, we're dry. It's a little bit of a struggle, but at least if we don't spray, we're usually not losing 15 or 20 bushels. It's a little bit less for us. It still pays, but just not quite to that degree. Uh, Well, hey, Kevin, it's been great having you on the show again. Hope things are going well for you down there. Really appreciate it and uh, hope to have you on again soon.
6: Thank you, sir. Y'all be safe and appreciate all you do.
0: You bet. Thanks. Again, that was Kevin Matthews. He's with the Extreme Ag Group, and he farms down in North Carolina. Yeah, just a lot different disease environment that they're looking at when you go to that geography where they have so much more rainfall and humidity. Uh, oh, I shouldn't even say humidity. They, they don't always have more humidity than us, but they do have a lot more rainfall and a longer growing season. And it's just it, it it's a challenge raising crop there sometimes, especially when you go against some of these tough diseases. All right. Right after the break, we'll talk a little bit more about foliar fungicides and soybeans. And then we're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
3: What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide available for fall.
1: Winter is here, and that means it's the perfect time to improve your farming operation by attending Ag PhD's Winter Workshops and Clinics. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting a bunch of free workshops throughout January and February, with each event focusing on different subjects that all help you make more money on the farm. On January 11th, we start off with a wheat agronomy workshop, followed by two days dedicated to understanding soils and cutting fertilizer expenses. Then on Monday, January 31st, we're dedicating a whole day to drainage and the benefits of tile, followed by our corn agronomy workshop on February 1st. Finally, we'll be discussing soybean agronomy on February 15th, with the next day fully devoted to learning about one of the newest developments in increasing yields across the country, natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information on how to improve your farm, and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, all these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Learn more and register at agphd.com.
3: It takes a team to beat resistant weeds. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5VC is a selective, contact herbicide for post emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide resistant strains. Tough 5VC is a perfect teammate, having a synergistic effect with HPVD inhibitors and enhances products in the PS2 group. Make Tough 5VC part of your winning team. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5VC or visit belchumusa.com. Always read and follow label instructions.
4: Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty. We're broadcasting today from the Morton Studio, talking soybean fungicides today. And next on the show, we got Marty Chilvers. He is from Michigan State University. Marty, how are you today?
7: Hey Brian, good. Thanks for having me on.
0: When I, when I heard you're going to be on the show today, right away I was just thinking about in your area all the tar spot that has become such an issue in corn. Before we get over to the soybean side, can you tell us uh, any, anything new you're learning about tar spot and what we need to do to control that one?
7: Uh, well, I mean, we've seen this before. It's not really brand new for us. Uh, we had a really bad epidemic back in 2018. Uh, What has changed uh, across the country here is that tar spot has continued to spread since 2018. Yeah. Uh, And the things that are similar between 2018 and this year uh, has been all the moisture during the season. Yeah, the 2019-2020 season were relatively dry, more or less. Uh, And so that just, you know, we just didn't see the epidemic levels uh, that we did again this year. Uh, And again, yeah, we're hearing, you know, 50, 100 bushel losses, especially under irrigation. Um, So... Uh, We've got a lot more data now on fungicides, and we will be updating the foliar fungicide efficacy table uh, that we put out through the Crop Protection Network, so that should be a helpful resource for folks.
0: So as you say that, I assume there are several fungicides that are pretty good now?
7: Yeah, I mean, pretty much most of them have some efficacy on disease, absolutely, but there appears to be a couple that are sort of coming to to the top there.
0: Can you, can you share those with us yet?
7: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't want to overspeak. Uh, you know, we're still sort of analyzing data. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple of products uh, Veltama, the Lara Complete look like a couple yeah. uh, in some of my personal trials that, that have stood out. Yep. Uh, but there's a number of other products too. Uh, we we're just talking about this morning. We still see a little bit of variation, right? So yep. it's also about the correct timing. And I, I don't think we can stress that enough. Yeah, we don't want to see people wasting money on an early vegetative application uh, timing, like a V five. Yeah, um, a
0: real early one. But I thought that right. right be- but I thought right before tassel. That's when I, I, I know farmers that have called into the show have said they've been having luck with right before tassel. Are you seeing that too? Y-
7: yes, in especially in two past, um, programs. Right, right, right. Yes, we yes we are. Um, you know, I think if you had to plan for a single application for next season, um, you know, not knowing how much task pressure there is and market prices, I think the consensus would be to apply between TASSEL and through to about the R2, maybe the R3 sure. growth stage in general. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, um, monitoring or scouting for this disease is difficult. Um, it's just so much harder to see than northern leaf blight or grey leaf spot. And so I hope. You know, Although it's probably been very frustrating this year for a bunch of new people, I hope people have, have really taken the time to get to know what the disease looks like. So come next July, we can be out there and just paying a little bit more attention to what's going on.
0: All right. So a lot of the same fungicides that farmers are going to spray in corn, they're also going to use in soybeans. Like one you had mentioned was Delaro Complete. We like that. It's a three mm-hmm. mode of action product. You mentioned Veltema. Well, in soybeans, BSF's pushing Revitech, which has got the mm-hmm. same two active ingredients in Veltema plus another one. So you've got three modes of action there too. What, what are mm-hmm. you thinking for soybeans now? I, I mean, do you like seeing the three mode of action products? Are you getting better efficacy with those versus the two mode of action products? Or what's your data showing?
7: Yeah, that's a good question. So it, it really depends on what, what we're trying to do, right? Um, if we're trying to control white mold, uh, there are some standbys like Endura sure. that we really like, right. but, you know, a single motor action that works quite well. Yep. So it all depends what we're trying to chase. If we're just trying to chase a yield bump, mm-hmm. something with a strobilurin in there is probably a, a good thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Having said that, I really do like people to have check strips, whether they're trying to control a disease or, or chase you know any form of yield bump. Um, I think that's very, very important. If you don't have that, you don't know what really happened in the end, right? Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Well, I think that's a great idea, having the test strips or check strips, Mm -hmm. but the problem is a lot of people like to look at one year's worth of data uh, and they say, well, (laughs) it's on my farm and it didn't pay last year, so it's not going to pay this year. And it's exactly what you're talking about with the tar spot that, okay, well, last year didn't pay, but this year, all of a sudden you might've gained 50 bushels. Um, You got to kind of look at the average over time too. So I usually tell people, Hey, it's great doing check strips, but you know, Mm -hmm. test the stuff out for more than one year.
7: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, and then, you know, this next coming season, you know, how, how much task spot pressure will there be? You know, if it's dry, um, we may not have that much well, right. pressure, right? Right, absolutely. So, yeah, we've got to... Keep that in mind as well.
0: Hey, I want yeah. to go back to sclerotinia white mold. You you brought that up yeah. and you said, yep, Endura's great. And I agree with you. The problem is for mm-hmm. me and for every other farmer out there, we don't like the price. So we're always trying to come <laughs> up with, well, I'm serious. <laughs> we're trying yeah, to come up sure. with, okay, maybe we'll do some spot spraying or, you know, our worst areas, we'll do some Endura. What have you found that's less expensive that's working well? I'll just tell you what we've done is a combination yeah. of the active ingredients found in Domark and Topsin. Uh, so then I have two modes of action, and I'm only spending for full rate of both, maybe 10 or $11 an acre. I like that better than $30 worth of Endura. Uh, but anyway, I just I was curious, what are you seeing for performance out of other products on white mold?
7: Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, price is a very important um, component, of course. Yeah, there's, there's certainly other products, you know, Propulse. Um, there's a number, I guess, that um, also provide pretty, pretty reasonable control of Omega. Um. yeah like you said Topson as well um, we'd rate Topson generally as a little bit you know just, just lower efficacy right. but yeah it comes back to price absolutely
0: Yeah. I, and, um, and as far as Topson I'm not saying I like it by itself because I don't but I do like it in combination right. with Domark so if I do Topson and right. Domark together now I, I feel like I have something fairly good do you do many combinations or is what you do basically straight products when you're testing against white mold
7: um, we do generally not tank mixes. So that's, that's a very good point. Yeah. And I'd be more than happy to, you know, have that discussion with my colleagues <laughs> and to make sure we put some more of those together. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Well, um, things have yeah. changed so much lately because some of these fungicides are really inexpensive. And, you know, both yeah. Topsin and Domark used to be somewhat expensive. So I thought, well, we're just going to try one. Well, now I can go full mm-hmm. rate of both together and I'm still one-third the money of Endura. And I, well, I like Endura, right. it's like, boy, yeah. if I can get close in performance for one-third the money and now I have two modes mm-hmm. of action, so less chance for resistance because we have white mold every year almost. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. But that that was one thing that I, I, I thought— I. Because I've looked at a lot of your trials over the years, and I haven't seen any tank mix stuff. So,
7: Right. Yeah, yeah no, we generally haven't done as much of that. It's generally, you know, been a program, um, you know, coming in at R1 and then a follow-up R3 application, a different product. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think there's definitely, especially with additional products potentially coming off patent, um, yeah, we're going to have to look at some more of these generic products as well.
0: Okay, I got one more question for you here, Marty. We got about a minute left. As far yeah. as... Other diseases that you commonly see in your area—is there another one or two that you think people need to be really on the watch out for, at least in your region of the country? And if so, how do we solve those problems with foliar fungicides?
7: <laughs> well, it's a big question. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, and I gave
0: you, issue. and I gave you all a one minute to answer it. So, <laughs> yeah, sorry.
7: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, so there, there's things that we're trying to get ahead of right now. So, like the frog eye leaf spot situation concerns me. And I mean, this is a really good point to talk about when we're talking about fungicide use, and that is fungicide resistance, right? So frog eye leaf spot, the folks uh, in Tennessee and and, uh, other states to our south are are, are battling with um, fungicide resistance in in frog eye leaf spot. To the strobes, general, Yes, that's right, to the strobularans at the moment. And so that's something we're trying to get ahead of at the moment. I don't normally think about frog eye leaf spot being a major issue here in Michigan. But we've also seen uh, or hearing of documented of cases of frog-o-leaf spot um, coming further north than it normally has historically. Um, so that's something that we're trying to get a hold of at the moment. We're going out collecting isolates and testing them for fungicide sensitivity yeah, to the strobilurins, but also the DMI uh, and the SDHI fungicide classes that we we generally rely on those three different classes. So... That's something that we're proactively doing at the moment. Um, You know, we don't want to take our eye off the ball. There's plenty of other issues. Back to corn, northern leaf blight, gray leaf spot, you know, that continue to be a a bit of an issue. Yeah. Uh, And then this year as well, southern rust actually, you know, made an appearance this far north as well. So that, that was also a bit of a problem.
0: Yeah, lots of diseases in corn, just like soybeans. All right. Again, this is Marty Chilvers we've been talking with from Michigan State University. Marty, thanks a lot for the time today. Great information. Appreciate it.
7: Thank you, Brian.
0: You bet. Alright, right, stay tuned. We'll talk just a little more fungicides and then get to your questions in the Ag PhD Mailbag.
2: It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus rewards. Visit mybayerplus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all
1: label directions. What can you do to build a better wheat crop? I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, January 11th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in-depth on topics such as crop protection programs, seed treatment options, fertility requirements, and ways you can make your crop more resistant to stresses like drought and disease. We'll be covering all this and more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops and corn and soybeans. Two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There is a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com.
3: Fertilizer prices spiked this year. As you plan your fall and applications, how will you protect that investment? NSERV Nitrogen Stabilizer is the only product with 45 years of proven results. NSERV protects nitrogen below ground where up to 70% of loss happens, keeping it in the root zone for up to eight additional weeks. And NSERV is shown to increase yield potential by an average of 7% when used with fall applications. Don't settle for anything less than the trusted protection of NSERV. For more information, visit NitrogenMaximizers.com.
0: Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty. Live in the Morton studio, just talking soybean fungicides a little bit. But even if you don't raise soybeans, a lot of these fungicides can also be used in your crop. Or even if it's not necessarily that name, it's that mode of action. So the three primary mode of action modes of action that we are talking about include the strobes, uh, strobilurin products. So that would be like Headline, Quadris, Gem, avito. Uh, with those, the concern, and, and Marty uh, Chilvers just brought this up right before the break, is the resistance with certain diseases. So, like where we're at, we have, in South Dakota, we have frog-eye-leaf spot resistance and brown, uh, brown spot. So, we can't control those diseases with the straight strobe products. So, I'll, I'll tell you a story, and if you've listened f- to the show for years, you may have heard this before, but... It was probably, I don't know, 10 years ago, 8, 10 years ago, something like that. Darren and I went over to Denmark, and we went to an ag retailer. And it was funny because we step off. We're on this little bus, and I mean, there were just a few of us. But anyway, there I, I, I step off the bus, and, and I... I go to say hi to this agronomist, and he goes, hey, Brian Hefty, I watch your show all the time. I'm like, good grief, you're in Denmark? But yep, you watched online all the time. So anyway, it was great because he'd already kind of known what we do because we talk about it all the time on the show. Anyway... Where I'm going with this is we were walking through his warehouse, and I was just looking at the products and looking at the active ingredients, and I saw a product called Comet, and I said, oh, hey, that's the same active ingredient as we have for Headline over in the U.S., and I said, I'm just curious. You know, you guys are spraying all this wheat over here, and you have tremendous wheat yields. I said, what diseases are you controlling with, with your Comet? Again, Comet, same as Headline here, and he goes, oh, we're not controlling any diseases. <laughs> and I go, wait a second. Um, why do you have it in the shed? And aren't you selling a bunch of this product? And he said, oh yeah, we sell all kinds of it. And I go, well, you must be one heck of a salesman if you can sell somebody a fungicide that doesn't work. And he goes, no, no, it works great on plant health. And I go, come on, really? I said, I, you know, I'm not this huge believer in the plant health thing, but he goes, oh no, it's absolutely real. If we don't have that comment or headline in the tank, we do not get as high of yields on our wheat. He said, I don't know what it is. There's something that's happening in that plant. We are getting absolute plant health benefits. So we'll use and I'm talking about these other two modes of action here now, triazoles and SDHI products to kill the diseases, but we use the strobes basically for plant health. We just don't, there's just too much disease resistance to those. So anyway, I thought that was interesting, and it's one of the things uh, Marty Chilvers brought up as well, that, you know, you have that strobe in there, you get some plant health benefits, and I, 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 Now that I've studied it more here after all these years, what we found is that the plants are usually cooler in temperature when they have a strobe on there. So I'm talking about what are the plant health benefits specifically. Cooler temperature, more antioxidants, and less ethylene production and The more ethylene you have in the plant, the faster it dies. Okay, So we want less ethylene in the plant, and then it will last longer. And that's why sometimes when you see plants treated with a strobe, there are green stems or green stalks in the fall, and a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to combine through the green stems. I always say, look, if there's yield gain there, I don't care. If we have to run the combine a mile or two, an hour slower, so what? I I, I mean, we can justify that if we have a lot more yield. Because think about it anymore, even if you gain... Two or three bushels because he had that strobe in there versus not. I mean, it's a lot of dollars in soybeans. Soybeans around here right now are worth roughly 12 bucks. Well, three bushels, it's $36 an acre. Uh, a lot of people are throwing in just a half rate of a strobe together with some other fungicides they're using. So that costs like $3, maybe 5 So if I have anything that I can do 3 or $5 and I gain an extra $36 an acre, oh, I'm interested in that. Even gaining one bushel, I'd be interested in that. If I'm already out there spraying, already doing other treatments, that kind of thing. So you just have to run the numbers on stuff. And I guess that's really the biggest thing that I would tell you is look at your results over time don't just look at a one year because in a drought year you may or may not gain as much i mean the plant health might gain you more but the disease control might not be as much but in a wet year like 2018 and 2019 they were the wettest years we ever had on our farm we sprayed every single soybean acre twice we had good yields the fungicide really paid so you know it was an absolute no-brainer so you just have to use your best judgment all the time when you're going through this stuff but uh, earlier in the show i'd asked drake copeland When's the best timing for fungicide? He said R3. I usually tell people R2 to R3. So what we mean by that specifically is full flower is R2 to first pod is R3. So I usually say to people, all right, as soon as you see that very first pod in the field or the first few pods, that's when you need to be out there. So that's technically probably still R2, just getting into R3. I do like that timing. We've had good success with that. With one with two big exceptions. One, Kevin Matthews mentioned earlier in the show, sudden death syndrome. Uh, and the problem with sudden death is, yeah, there aren't any great fungicides and all you can get is suppression, but there is one fungicide that is labeled for suppression. That's Fortix. Okay, so Fortix has a strobe and a trizole. And with Fortix, you don't think that you're going to get this amazing control on sudden death syndrome, but it's one of the things, if you spray right at R1, you actually can get some suppression. So, yes, I want a seed treatment. Uh, Yes, I want a more tolerant variety. I want to do everything else I can to reduce the amount of sudden death syndrome out there. But I got one last shot, and that's R1 Fortix. R1 is also the right timing if you're worried about sclerotinia white mold. So, this is a thing that Marty Chilvers and I were debating a little bit. And I love Endura. Okay, don't get me wrong. It's fantastic. But it's like $35 an acre this year. So, what I usually tell people is, look at your old maps, for where you've had sclerotinia white mold, it will almost for sure be in those same areas. I know it is for us. So, if that, let's say that's 10% of your farm, all of a sudden $35 an acre over all your farm, yeah, that's cost prohibitive. I don't want you to do that. But on the 10% where you have a white mold history, well, that's not bad because if you average that over all your soybean acres, 10% of $35 is only $3.50 over all my beans. Well, that I don't mind. And then the other thing is in those areas where you've had white mold in the past, think about your yield loss. On our farm, we've had beans that are making 90 bushels to the acre. This is no kidding. I'll show you the maps. 90 going down to zero. That's that's no fun. Where that's a ninety bushel loss. I can pay for an awful lot of fungicide and an awful lot of trips, right? So my point here is yes, I, I encourage you to use a little bit of Endura if you've got a white mold problem. That's great. That is the best. But use it sparingly. Use it right at R one. Spray it just in the areas where you know for sure that you need it. Then you get the best performance overall. And then what we'll typically do is spray whole fields after that with like I was mentioning, combination of Domark and Topsin Both of those together, even this year, even with prices going up, it's probably only going to be $12 an acre or something. Both of them at a full rate together. So I'm just trying to say it's not that much money, and now you can have two modes of action with activity in white mold and activity in some of the other diseases. So that's something for you to think about. So what we'll do sometimes is we'll go with Endura just in those spots, and. Prior to that, with white mold, we'll use Cobra pre-flower, but Anyway, what we'll do for the second shot, and we'll do this on the whole farm, we will use something like Losento or Revitec or Trivapro or Delaro Complete or Stratego Yield, whatever. We'll, we'll do something that's got plant health benefits uh, and is going to control a wide range of diseases. We'll do that at the R2, R3 stage, and then we'll come back later at, let's say, R5 with that Topsin Domart combination, or maybe we'll use Proline or something like that, just something else and something different than what we had done earlier. Earlier. We're trying to mix this up a little bit so we don't have as much worry about disease uh, resistance. And then we also want to have something that has some activity on sclerotinia white mold because it is a really tough one. So anyway, hopefully this has helped you. The big thing that I would say is you want to be out in front of when the disease really hits. You have to use your best judgment because you can't scout for disease and then spray. It's never gonna work. You're gonna lose too much yield. So you just have to take your chances. And then the other big thing is, make sure when you spray, you get great spray coverage. The, the biggest difference is not so much which fungicide you pick when you're going for general plant health, okay? The biggest difference is whether you spray a fungicide or you don't. And then I also typically recommend use at least two modes of action if you can, if not even three. That way you have less chance for resistance, you have a broader spectrum of diseases you get under control, and really, the cost is not that bad. Fungicides have come way down in price over the years. And even this year, with everything going up a little bit, they're they're not too bad. Still cheaper than they were about three years ago. All right, we'll answer your questions in the egg PhD mailbag right after this.
1: If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, do you think you could cut your farm's fertility expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year. It's January 12th and 13th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the most important two days that you spend in your farming career. It's all free. So register now at agphd.com.
2: When it comes to harvest, every kernel counts, and nothing captures more kernels than the new Drago GT or the proven Drago Series 2 corn heads. Both have automatic self-adjusting deck plates, and the new Drago GT features quad suspension deck plate ear shocks for even greater
3: harvest efficiency. Nothing in the field captures more yield. For more information on Drago corn heads, go to dragotech.com. That's DragoTec.com.
1: Come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin.
0: Alright, our first comment today comes from Rin over in Minnesota who says, I watch a show every Sunday and I'm particularly concerned about how you've recommended Roundup multiple times. Do you not know that Roundup is a known carcinogen? Please, if you care about farmers and their families, including your own families, please stop mentioning Roundup or recommending it on your program. Look, respectfully, I would just say um, that is not true. Uh, Roundup is not a carcinogen. If you look at the EPA and all the major regulatory agencies around the world, they've studied this for 50 years, they've spent more money testing this one compound than any other compound that I know of in the world in history, and it has never been found to be a carcinogen, so that is not true. Uh, but here, here's the thing. Keep in mind, too, that we work every day, every, almost every person in society works every day with things that are actually known and proven carcinogens, including gasoline so almost everyone pumps their own gasoline they deal with gasoline on a, on a daily basis and that is absolute proven cancer causer so when we talk about these herbicides and let's just let, let's get into the roundup thing just a little bit more I, I would just first say we're not suggesting anybody drink it. Uh, or have it uh, take a bath in it, or anything else. So we always want to use caution with anything that we are spraying on the farm, using on the farm, because it's just like our dad always told us. He said, you know, the dose makes the poison. And if you're going to be working with something on a daily basis, you have to be really careful about that, almost really whatever it is. So we talked about that from the time we were kids. Anyway, I I would just say um, it's not true. Roundup is not a, a carcinogen, and there's plenty of data out there on that. Now, sure, there are a lot of people who are suing Bayer and everything else. They're going after big companies, and, you know, it, it's a lot harder to prove a negative than to prove a positive. And so anyway, my my point here is simply for them to— uh go back and they have all this data showing that it's it's not a carcinogen and that's exactly what the EPA says but what are you going to do i mean if somebody sues you for anything and if you get a uh, 100,000 people that sue you you got to defend yourself and that's why they end up settling, because they just don't want to pay the lawyer fees for years and years and years and have it be a black eye in their company. But, yeah, what, what bear's doing now is they are pulling it from the home-use market, and so it's going to be left to farmers to use. And so I'll I'll just give you two examples of the next, the next two questions I've got here in the Ag PhD mailbag today. We need Roundup. So the first one is from Thomas, and he says... Uh, I'm from Indiana. I have bulrush along ditch banks that's moving into our fields. What do you recommend and how can we control it? The only thing I know of, Thomas, is roundup, but use a high rate and very little water, as little water as you can, so you have very concentrated droplets. Bulrush is a perennial with rhizomes, and you're just not going to get it under control with other... Herbicides. So it's a tough one. And you can try tillage, but the problem with tillage is that's just going to spread that weed in a lot of cases. So there are aquatic labeled glyphosates like rodeo. And if you're near the water, that's what you may have to use, but glyphosate is the way to go. Uh, All right, next one comes from Jared. And the answer to this question is also glyphosate. He says, I'm here in West Central Minnesota and I got a new weed that showed up on my farm. Uh, soybeans in 22 inch rows. We did one application of glyphosate with the Camba, skipped the post residual herbicide due to no rain in the forecast. The forecast was very accurate, and then he's got a frowny face. Um, Jared, I feel your pain. So often we were thinking we were going to have rain this summer, and it was one of the driest summers in history here in eastern South Dakota, just like it was for you in west central Minnesota. Uh, it's, it's a miracle that we had the yields that we did based on the little rainfall. But anyway, this weed, he sent a picture. He sent a few pictures. And honestly, I can't tell for sure what it is. It appears to me that it is some type of grass. And it looks like it, it, it very well could be a perennial grass. That's my concern here. If it's a perennial grass, we have one choice, and that's glyphosate. I, 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 and the thing is... and he says in here, we did one application of glyphosate with dicamba. So if you're listening today, you're probably going, well, wait a second. He just said he used glyphosate. Now you're telling him to use it again and it didn't work the first time? Look, when you put glyphosate together with dicamba, the dicamba will eat up part of that glyphosate. It, It will not work the same. Okay. There is antagonism there. So that's the first thing. The second thing is when you're spraying dicamba, what do you have to do? You have to have bigger spray droplets and you are going to have worse spray coverage. Well, with something like he's got here, it's basically think about a clump or a cluster, uh, a whole bunch of stuff that you've got to get good coverage into that. There's a lot to kill there. And if you don't have good coverage and you're not using a high rate and you have antagonism caused by the dicamba, that's, in my opinion, why I believe you're seeing a problem. So if you run with a higher rate, leave out the dicambus, you can go with smaller spray droplets, then I think you're going to have much, much better control. Now, obviously, when we get a great crop growing, then hopefully we can choke that out because, you know, a lot of these grasses are are short. They can't compete very well with crops that are growing tremendously well. But in a year like this, when it's super dry, uh, that's really tough. All right, we have our first email ever, I think, from the country of Cyprus. This one is from Nicholas. In Cyprus, he says I'm a dairy farmer, uh, but he's also involved in selling ag machinery. And he says he's uh, he's got wheat uh, that's 95% rain-fed, and it's used for making whole crop silage. Corn is drip irrigated, and it's used for silage also. Uh, So anyway, I've been trying. He says I've been trying to understand for the last ten years more about my fields, but the lack of good agronomists has stopped me from going forward. I'm trying to improve my work, but I've reached a point where I know that agronomically I'm not going any further. I've tried soil testing this year, but the Department of Ag is the only one that that will do soil testing. And these are his words. He says, unfortunately, they do a bad job. I asked them to make an analysis of a 20-acre field. They took one small bag and one single sample from a single point in the field. Weeks after that, they came back with an answer telling me my phosphorus was satisfactory and potassium the same. The field only needs more nitrogen. That was the answer. No pH, no actual numbers, and the thing that's captivated, captivated me from your videos is how uh, you look at your soil analysis. Uh, it's something I have never, I had never understood. You make a simple calculation of the depth of sampling to calculate the, uh, what you find by analysis and how you practically put that in numbers once you have the results. So anyway, I'm interested in harvesting wheat, but I always fell short of any good yield goals. Uh, And I would like a management program that I could use to start improving my work. So I'm wondering, do you have any courses over the Internet? Uh, Can you help? All right. So, Nicholas, first of all, thanks for the email. Really appreciate that. It we have a lot of stuff that's online. So everything from, yes, uh, we'll have some of our workshops this winter, Uh, our Ag PhD PhD television shows we've been doing for 23 and a half years now. Hopefully you're listening to us uh, on the radio and and through the internet. So I, I would just say we're trying to put as much good information out as we can. But at the end of the day, you've got to get a better analysis of your soil and I don't know coming from Cyprus if you can send it to the United States for analysis or to some country in Europe or, or whatever but you've got to get better soil analysis that's one of the first things and then beyond that I guess we're always interested in specific information so if you've got certain weeds you want to control diseases insects anything else uh, just let us know if there's something else we can do to help you uh, we are always here right. Next one is from David. And just, uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, he asked about black nightshade in the garden. And I I think I had just said, well, it's, it's kind of hard because you don't know what crops you're talking about specifically in the garden. So he responded here and said, my black nightshade is in my potatoes, carrots, green beans, and peas. And I had thrown out mulch. So he says, will increasing mulch improve the control? Yes, it will. Uh, Also, I rotate crops within my garden. So the section will have sweet corn in it next year. Thanks for your help and assistance. All right. So David, I'll just say this. There are some products that can help you. So for example, in sweet corn, you can use one of the group 15 products. So let's say it's Outlook or Dual, something like that. Okay. That will give some suppression on Black Nightshade. If it was, uh, well, we talk about beans quite often, and in most, most beans, you can use pursuit. The problem with that is it could potentially carry over to the next year, causing a problem with sweet corn. But, you know, when you start getting to potatoes and, and carrots, I just, I don't have an answer for you of anything that's good that's going to help you. So, unfortunately, it means pulling those weeds by hand I I, I know you don't really want to do that, but I just don't have another super great answer for you. All right, well, we hope you've enjoyed our show today. Uh, Before we go, I just want to say thanks to our production staff. My sister Janelle was running the controls for me. And thanks to you for listening, and be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.